Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Folks, welcome to Democracy-ish. I am Danielle Moody. And I am... Not Danielle Moody. I'm Wajahatali. I swear, we should switch it up one day and just be like, I'm Danielle Moody. Like, and I'm Wajahat Ali. Ali. <laughs> well, that was very well done. Well thank, done. Thank you so much. Um, Waj, can you believe that today, today, which will be uh, January 20th, marks one year, one year since Inauguration Day. The Biden administration has been in power for one year. And in the vein of many, many, many uh, cable news chattering class, I want to give this administration a really thoughtful report card because there's a lot. There's a lot that has been going on. There is a lot that has been in the news. There's a lot happening right now today. And, you know, from based on the current polls of just Biden, right? His poll numbers. Biden has the lowest first year poll numbers as a president. Um, The only person that has lower was Donald Trump. Every other president was at 50 or above in their in their first year in office. Now, we could say and chalk that up to it being a sign of the times, right? Um, or we could delve in a little bit deeper into what we think is causing these really low poll numbers and whether or not we think that over the course of the next nine months leading into midterms, if we think that this administration is going to pull a rabbit out of a hat, because apparently we're going to either need magic, yeah. Allah, God, <laughs> you know, I'm not quite sure, right? Yeah. But we need something. <laughs> yeah. We, oh, oh, voting rights would be nice. Nope. Uh, but but we're not going to get that. You look, I think we have to be a, do a fair audit and we will be fair. We're always fair on this program. And I think you got to look, Joe Biden. I don't envy this guy. Joe Biden, no. Kamala Harris inherited a pandemic, a once in a lifetime pandemic that was made worse by Donald Trump and Republicans who actively courted death to help their administration. I want to remind people that these people should be held liable. These people should be in jail. Uh, for literally causing death. They knew the information, they suppressed the information, and they told people that just go out. The sunlight will come and disinfect it. Open up, because he wanted his poll numbers to go back up, and he didn't use his powers, and he pitted blue states against red states. And now, voila, the latest data shows up that most countries are vaccinated, like Spain, 
but we lag at the bottom. There's one country that is worse than us, which is, of course, the favorite country of Republicans, Russia. Russia. Right. So we got the pandemic. It's not Biden's fault that he's inherited the supply chain crisis and inflation. He has to do the best he can manage it. It's not Biden's fault also that we live in this atrocious institutional system, incestuous system where they all sleep with each other, sleep with each other, screw each other, drink with each other. They're all buddies. It's a both sides false equivalence. And it is kind of his fault that he is part of a Democratic Party that brings a pencil to a knife fight. And as we have discussed before, always caters to voters of color to get the votes, but then abandons us to court the white moderates who have not gone for Democrats since the 1950s. And it all comes to a head, Danielle. I hate saying this. It all comes to a head right now because... It's a beautiful microcosm of America. It's like the, just an exquisite microcosm. Who is screwing Biden and the Democrats and stabbing him in the front and the back? It ain't AOC. It ain't Ilhan Omar. It ain't Bowman. It's Alpha Karen Kristen Cinema and Alpha Chad Joe Manchin. I mean, you know what, it, what makes me really upset? And I, I tweeted this earlier in the week. And I said this. Imagine what things would look like in this country right now, in our body politic, if Democrats cared slash feared their base Mm. in the same Mm. way that Republicans do. Because what you say and what we've been saying on Democracy-ish is that this Democratic Party does not cater to its base. It doesn't actually care about the base. It is evident through the policies that they allow to lapse, through the failed communication, through the fact that, you know, we're, we're a couple of weeks into 2022, and this is the most adamant that we've heard this entire administration be on voting rights. They had an entire year. Right. right. An entire year that wasn't pushing up against the back of one of the most consequential midterm elections since the last consequential midterm election. <laughs> right. right. That right. offered up the quote unquote blue tsunami. Right. Yeah. So if if you care about your base. Right. In the way that Republicans do, this country would look really different right now. Yeah, and, all, and also we've discussed this and I think it's it's the same thread. Right. Who did they blame for uh, McAuliffe's loss in Virginia? Uh, loss in Virginia. I'm in. I'm in Virginia right now. They blamed woke politics and the progressives, even though they ran with McAuliffe. And again, for those of you who are listening who aren't from Virginia, this guy is an old establishment hand, like the right hand of Clinton. I'm talking about an old white man rooted in centrist Democratic politics who ran a lazy campaign, who's a wealthy man. You can't get more establishment than him. No. They had no response to Yunkin and the Republicans' attack on CRT, which I wrote about all the way in the summer. I said, you better come up with an angle here to respond to it. They thought they could waltz in, lazy-ass campaign, no response, no messaging, boom, they lose. What does the Democratic Party do? Blames, quote-unquote, the wokeness. Wokeness is a synonym for darkies. Let me just be blunt, right? Darkies and darkies complaining about darky issues, which are voting rights and police reform. Let's just be blunt. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they say defund the police. It's we lost because of defund the police, even though we elected Joe Biden, not Bernie Sanders or AOC. We elected Joe Biden and Joe Biden. And most uh, Democrats are not for defund the police, which, again, shows you a failure in messaging. And now, you know, he's a nice guy, a friend of mine, former colleague, CNN, Paul Begala. You know, I think you would say he's an old establishment head of the Democratic Party. He said the Democratic Party needs better voters. Yeah. 
Try pitching that to Americans, right? No, what you need is to sell these policies, but not not only to sell these policies, I think, Danny, I think especially black and brown folks, right? They want fighters. They want a Democratic Party that will fight for them. And what you see with Republicans, this is, I'm going to give a really strange compliment to Republicans. The base has become radicalized, mm-hmm. which is now radicalizing otherwise elitist frauds like Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott and DeSantis. Mm-hmm. They're all frauds. Ellie Stefanik. They're all, you know, blue, like white collar, wealthy frauds who live in the suburbs. But they're responding to their crazy base. They don't give a shit. They'll, they're like, they'll go scorch, scorched earth. And we have now reports saying that some Democrats are afraid of actually, you know, exerting their power in the House because they fear retaliation from Republicans and they don't want to dig too deep because they think when the Republicans get power, they're not going to retaliate. And we're sitting here thinking, yo, where have you been? The Republicans are going to crush you no matter what. So you might as well fight. And that lack of fight, that lack of that lack of fight for specifically the issues that motivate, like you said, the base police reform voting rights is now coming to a head and voila, America, you ignored it. And now guess what's about to crumble? Democracy. You know, you have Republicans are the big bully in the schoolyard, right? Yeah. That is pushing you around, calling you all sorts of names, getting everybody in the schoolyard to gang up on you. You can cry all you want. But if you are my kid, at some point in time, I'm going to say, if you're going to go down, which you probably will, that person is double your size, right? The teacher ain't paying attention, right? Yeah. Um, they're loaded up with a bunch of other work and things going on. You have to stand up for yourself. And at least if you go down, you go down swinging so that mm. they know that you're not just going to lay on your back and take it, right? And that you're not just going to stand there and cry. And so here's the thing that I will say, offer too. Uh, and I guess a compliment, if you, if you will, to Republicans, is that fact, even when their representatives are crazy and believe that Jews control a space laser, space laser right, that that is somehow controlling us here on Earth, they double down on that person. Right. They double down on their people, except for those that fall out of line. What do they do? They cut them off at the knees Liz Cheney. to make an example of that person that if you do not fall into line, you will have no party to fall into. So in that same vein, I say to myself, you have Chuck Schumer this week bringing Voting rights, bringing the rules changed to the filibuster to the floor, which we all know is going to fail because you have President yep. Manchin and Vice President Cinema that have already laid their stake in the ground saying that they will die on the filibuster before it is changed. I wish they would. Right. I digress because the point here is that if Schumer had the same gumption and audacity that a Mitch McConnell has, do you think that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema would be willy-nilly walking around the Capitol, walking into committee hearing meetings, going ahead and caucusing? No, they wouldn't. They would have been excised from the party. And so my point here is that we don't win with them And we don't win without them. So I would rather kick them out and make an example of the fact that we either get locked in step or we get locked up when Republicans get the the gavel back. 
From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now, until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting, and they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. So I think you, you make a good point going back to your, your first point. If, if you notice, if, if those who are listening, if you pay attention, and I think it bears reminding just to show how extreme the right wing has become. Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, it, it believes in the replacement theory. Marjorie Taylor Greene believes in Jewish space lasers. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a conspiracy theorist. Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, advocates violence against her fellow colleagues. And what happened when Democrats had power? They flexed their power. They stripped her of her committees. Well done, Democrats. The House Republicans gave her a standing ovation, most of them. Yep. Paul Gosar literally spoke at a white nationalist rally. Uh, Nick Fuentes, of the, uh, the, he's a white nationalist and an anti-Semite, spoke at the rally, took a photo with them, tweets out white supremacy, tweets out anime against AOC, befriends the Oath Keepers. They refused to condemn him. They circled the wagons and say, nope, he's one of ours, and we realize the base will abandon us. Now, compare this to Democrats. Mm -hmm. With every opportunity, even when they don't have to, uh, let's throw Ilhan Omar and AOC under the bus. Why not? It's it's a Friday. I, I feel like I have some free time, right? Number one. That signal that the sense of the rest of us is, oh, 
every problem is a progressive problem, right? Which then you literally are weaponizing the bad faith arguments of wokeness and and cancel culture and progressives against your own party. Democrat, you know, Republicans, they own the label of conservative. They, they, they take it. Like, I am a proud conservative. Democrats are running away from progressive. We've talked yep. about this on your program before, is you have to define yourself. Democrats, by nature, are timid nerds who bring a pencil to a knife fight. Mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell and Republicans, even when they don't have power, they'll bring a bazooka. And Democrats always have this loser mentality. You just see it like, like sulking, even when they have control. Like, flex, mother effer. Flex your power. Like, even now, this example I gave with the House panel, where you have so much evidence, it seems so clear to me. I'm an attorney, haven't practiced in a long time. But just knowing what I've seen, you can flex against the Republicans. This seems like a wide-ranging conspiracy where you can actually flex your powers and really do, like, weekly hearings, excuse me, daily televised hearings, get out there, spin, you know, hit them, hit them, hit them. But what we got yesterday from some reports is they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because they think, Again, this is an American problem. If we cater to these right-wing bad faith actors, they will tolerate us and be moderated. <laughs> same thing happens in media. Danielle, same thing's happened in media. Let's give them one columnist. Let's give them yep. one commentator. Yep. Let's, br- let's bring them into Facebook. That'll pacify them. What happens instead? It's a Trojan horse. They're just as radical. Civility for me, none for you. We ain't going to follow the law and order. We're going to break it. What are you going to do? And like a bully drunk with power, they'll just keep punching. And so what do you do to a bully, especially such a weak bully? Because these people are weak. You punch a bully in the chin. What Democrats do instead is let me give you some chocolate. Maybe you'll beat me up less. And the people who keep suffering are black and brown and poor voters, right? We're not going to get any BBB because Manchin said no. We're not going to get voting rights because Manchin said no. All he's got now is the infrastructure bill that no one gives a shit about, but it is important. And then he's got to pray to God that either COVID becomes uh, a pandemic, becomes an endemic, and this inflation prices go down and Republicans go far crazy to the right, and maybe people will come out. That's what they're hearing from Democrats. You just got to bring people to the polls. And I say, sure, you'll bring people to the polls, but Republicans have voter suppression. Yeah. So what does it matter? Let's keep bringing people to the polls. Oh, mind you, Republicans have closed down several different polling stations in, in <laughs> your in your district. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, let's bring people to the polls. But where is that again? Oh, you mean it's 50 miles away from my home and now I have to get off of work early, which I can't do right. now because, you know, I'm already considered a lazy worker because I'm asking for health benefits and I'm asking for a living wage. So now you have my polling station that used to be down the street that I could go to on my coffee break, right, right. on my lunch break is now across town or across multiple counties. Right. So like let, what gets me frustrated, Wash, is that I just want to tell the truth. And mm. I think that what 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 pisses me off about Democrats is that they don't tell the truth, right? Because here, even within the conversations that we're having around Democrat infighting, there is an infighting that is happening. There are two people there who are liars, who are bad faith actors, who each and every time said that they would come to the table if you do this and if you do that. Every other Democrat turns into a contortionist act, twists themselves mm. into pretzels in order to make these things happen only for cinema and mansion right before the president came to came to the Hill. When have you ever in life seen a representative get out ahead of the president coming to speak to your party? 
Never. But Kirsten Cinema thought that it was well within her right to hold a press conference and knock Biden off his horse before he even before he even took a ride. And remember so you and yeah, I mean, no, remember you and I were talking about this on this program, right? That there was the 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 consensus of the establishment experts said that listen, 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 don't be too harsh on Manchin and Cinema because if you're too harsh, you don't know, right? They can defect and you need them. And I think we were saying, you know, you put pressure on these people. You put pressure on them yep. and pressure is the only thing that will make them do the right thing. And pressure is what got them to sign off on uh, the infrastructure bill. The pressure, what progressives were trying to do was save BBB by attaching it to the infrastructure bill because they knew Manchin and Cinema. once you give them infrastructure, they knew they'd screw you. And I'm glad you're mentioning that because people, again, are blaming the progressives, whatever that means, and the wokeness. But the Manchin and Cinema have hurt Democratic moderates, quote unquote, centrists, Right. Those centrists went out to their community and said, we will get this done. Don't worry. We're negotiating in good faith with Manchin and Cinema. They, you know, six trillions too much, three trillions too much. We'll bring yep. it down to two trillion. Remember that a couple months ago? Yep. And, you know, we're in negotiations and Biden's talking to him and he'll get it done. And just like you said, people forget Manchin sent his aide to tell Biden. Even Manchin didn't call Biden. He sent his aide to tell Biden, guess what? I'm not voting for BBB. And then Manchin went on. Fox News yep. to sink it. And what Manchin and Cinema represent to me, and, and what and we've talked about this and it's in this episode, is this white moderate. And we're on the heels of the anniversary of Martin Luther King's birth. Mm-hmm, and thank God it's mm-hmm. passed. We don't have to tolerate the one or two quotes that Republicans uh, use to, to launder their racism and white supremacy by using MLK as a mascot. Did I say too much? My bad. But, now, but MLK in his letters from Birmingham jail, people forget that letter was directed towards white moderates. Yes, it was. Whom he said in that letter were the greatest stumbling block yep. towards progress and equality, more so than the Ku Klux Klan or the White Citizens Council. And why is that, right? Because I have, in my own writing throughout the years, looked at that quote and unpacked that quote. And why is it? Because the KKK, the White Citizens Council, and the Republican white supremacist cult that is active right now will tell you to your face, like you've been saying, like a bad Bond villain. (laughs) I hate people of color. I hate (laughs) queer people. I don't want women in the workplace. They are telling you all of these things. They're not just showing you. They are telling you and showing you, but they are telling you to your face what they are doing. You see the white moderate, the white Mm. liberal, likes to pretend to your face. They like to smile in your face and then vote to stab you in the back, Mm. right? And that's the truth. And so here's the thing about the cinema and the mansion camp. And I go back to my initial statement is that they are no friend to the Democratic Party. And it's time, past time for the party, for leadership to say, you know what? We can't win with you. We're clearly not going to win without you, but you are not one of us. You no longer Mm. share our values. You and our values are about voting rights, securing democracy, right? Making the country cleaner so that we don't all combust from the climate crisis. We talk about the infrastructure bill and that being bipartisan. Let's not forget who watered it down. Right, right. King Cole. Yep. Right? So we, these people are our enemies, 
right? Well, so, so, and it's, can, it's can like, what are we going to do with them? Yes. So, so this is the the political response to someone who would say, just to act as a devil's advocate, they'll say, you know, you're not wrong, uh, Danielle, but we also, if you see the judges, Manchin votes with De uh, Biden, gets him the judges, right? He goes along with Democrats on most of the stuff. He's the one who helped to get you through reconciliation, COVID relief bill. He did not vote for the the atrocious tax cuts, which was the only legislative victory, honestly, for Donald Trump, right? So he on the DL gives you victories and you still need him because you have a 50-50 Senate. And most likely, it seems that you're going to lose. You're not going to get like a 51-52 and you're going to lose in the House and basically you're going to be a lame duck president. So I'm just throwing that devil's advocacy out to you. What you're saying now is, you know, and I'm I'm kind of with you now, is are you then going to let these two people literally hijack not just your administration, but the entire Democratic the, Party right. and progress and equality at yep. a time where we're suffering from climate change, income inequality, pandemic and the rise of white supremacy? And then blaming once again the people that came out in a historic turnout mm. in the midst of a health pandemic and say that you need better voters right? These are people that stood out in line for up to eight, nine, 10 hours, right? In certain places because of voter suppression, because of the polls being closed, because of poll worker intimidation and nobody mm. now wanting that volunteer job, right? That mm. used to be the most obscure and now is front page news. So here's the thing is that we continually, continually either ignore the base or blame them, Right. For, oh, well, what are you going to do? Not vote? Yeah. Because I'm starting to believe, not me, because I'm always going to vote. But I got to tell you that people who come to me now and say, tell me why I should vote. Yeah. Right. I'm starting to run out of reasons because I'm beginning to be to fall in the camp that is like, you know what, Waj? Maybe this shit really does need to collapse. Maybe America really does need to implode. Maybe more people actually do need to be harmed. Right. And then once everything is ash and folks look around and they realize that all of their rights are gone, too, then maybe we can actually get on the same page about what we do next. I said this recently. I said, you know, I kind of want to fast forward to the part where American fascism is just the norm so that we can figure out what to do next, because this slow crumble is de is heartbreaking, is depressing, because so, so it's like watching that comet and you're like. <laughs> Don't look up. <laughs> let's just watch Netflix instead. Uh, let's see how much time we can we can we can get to binge watch the, our latest show. So my response to that is you're articulating a very real. Oh, I got a phone call. Look at that. I, give me one second. Let me kill that phone call. Ladies and gentlemen, this is live podcasting. <laughs> All right. Uh, you are articulating a very real apathy and cynicism that is being expressed by voters. And we have to acknowledge that because many voters, especially voters of color, are saying we do everything we can for a Democratic Party that doesn't fight for us. And we don't get results. At the end of the day, faith is not enough. Faith has to be made tangible with some something, something concrete. Right. Yep. However, the problem is the following. You're also articulating the master plan of Steve Bannon, who wants to frustrate us and exhaust us and have us tap out to the point where then the white minority and extremist radicalized weaponized minority of GOP voters, I call them a radicalized weaponized death cult. I think I've proven my thesis time and time again, mm -hmm. gets to come in and take over. And we see this type of intimidation now happening at a local level. 
School boards, for example, people yeah. are tapping out. Healthcare professionals, they're tapping out. Uh, 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 the uh, poll workers, they're like, F this, tapping out. Voters, tapping out, right? And so we sometimes think, well, things can only get better once they get worse. But what I'll say is, sometimes things just get worse, yeah. <laughs> right? And so you and I are on the flip side, knowing that we still have to persist, mobilize, organize, and vote. Because the threat is that so dangerous. And if that threat gets power, man, I'm telling you, fascism ultimately crumbles. It takes a while, though, and has yeah, a lot like of civilians. Decades and decades. lost of loss and lots of loss of life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, literally loss of life, loss of freedoms, oppression, imprisonment, pain, torture. And then a lot of books come out and saying, we will learn and this will never happen again. And, and, and there, there is something there. But. I think we're at the point now where it's not enough to tell people this, Danielle. People need to that's see what, voting rights. That's, but that's and but here's the thing too, is that people need to see voting rights, but it's also not enough to tell them anymore. I think that folks are just gonna have to feel it. Because here's the thing, Waj, you know, here's a question. Why is it that Democrats have always been fine with the narrative that voting rights is a black and brown issue? That's right. Why is voting right. rights, right? Even even in our initial conversation at the beginning, we said, well, well, what do the darkies want? They want police reform. They want voting yeah. rights. But, right. you know, if we're going back to uh, the rise of the Third Reich and you're listening to the priest, Martin Neomar, and you're mm. listening to his poem, First They mm. Came For, right? That's right. Is this idea that Democrats have a, in their laziness have allowed voting rights to be something that is only necessary for black and brown people, as if white people don't also need to have voting rights or don't benefit from the ability to have their voices heard. But by creating this false line between the races, then of course you're going to have those ap apathetic, you know, good white moderates be like, well, you know, it's kind of okay, I guess, if we don't really pass it right now, because it's not going to crumble right away. Meanwhile, you and I are screaming, waving our hands at the top of the building saying, oh my God, oh my God, the sky is falling. And I think that that is the fault once again on messaging. This is not a black and brown problem. It is a right. democratic, it is a democracy problem if people are not able to vote. Well, it goes to the root of white supremacy in this country, right? That's what it is, because the messaging is that you, you have to have a race and class based message that unites a multiracial democracy and says, listen, we all improve when there's diversity. We all improve with the BBB. We all improve if there's more rights. This affects your kids and my kids, right? But we see a country in which white supremacy is embedded within our language, within our politics, within our systems, and so much so that people will choose whiteness over democracy. Just look at Virginia. And then once they let their whiteness dictate their votes, which is exactly happened in Virginia, what's happening right now in Virginia, where I'm at right now? All right, well, we're going to uh, protect your kids from Toni Morrison's beloved, but we're going to give them COVID. And now youngkins yanking the mask mandates and vaccine mandates and all these white parents are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We just thought you'd go after the darkies and the yep. transgenders. Hold on. That's my kid. What? I'm coming from an upper class suburban place. He goes, nope, nope. We're going to do vaccine mandates. Those those are gone. Mask mandates. Those are gone. I'm going to sue the schools, by the way. And, and oh, by the way, all DI uh, endeavors, all gone, all scrapped. And oh, by the way, in Florida, yeah, we're going to pass a bill that uh, apparently if you buy teaching racism, 
uh, if it uh, causes discomfort to white parents, it's going to be illegal. You're like, wait, what? And oh, by the way, in Texas, we're going to ban books. Oh, white feminist mom who was terrified of CRT. Come Guess on. what? We're going after Handmaid's Tale also. We're like, wait, 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 wait a second, huh? And oh, also, by the way, we're going to have to go after women's rights. Oh, white liberal who voted for, you know, uh, to protect whiteness, right? And so you're seeing now that the Democratic Party, which is part and parcel of white supremacy, let's be honest, and is, and is going through a schizophrenic moment right now where they're realizing, oh, crap, we can't get away simply by tolerating the blacks and browns. We can't get away with just giving them cookie crumbs. Oh, crap, we might not win over the whites. Oh, we got to treat the darkies like human beings. Oh, we got to deliver. And now whites are realizing, oh, and I'm glad you said it, voting rights, policing rights, and just for the darkies, who cares? Oh, oh shit, yeah. the, police, the police are cracking white skulls. Oh, shit, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse killed white people. Oh, shit, they're going against white folks. To, oh, shit, in ruler communities with this voter suppression, me... A bona fide real American white can no longer vote. Come on, real American white. <laughs> you know, it's, but I'm saying that by the time, this is the problem, is that by the time the alarm sounds in white America, by the time that that goes off, oh my God, you mean it wasn't just the other people that I stood on my front porch and watched them take away? Going back mm. to the Martin Neomo poem, mm. it's not just those people. First they came for the socialists, then they came for this, but it wasn't me, so I didn't say shit, right? So first they came for the Toni Morrison books. I don't know her anyway, and I don't like her, right? And she dead, she's so she's that's black. fine. And, she, and she's too black, and I don't like that, and I don't want my kid learning about that. It's too much, right? But then they start to come for every single thing else that you held dear, that you thought would never be moved. And mm. what I and by the time that that happens, it's too late. It's done. There you go. And this and this is where I say often that this country severely lacks empathy. It is so severe, the indifference mm. about other people. Right. And we just we see it playing out every day over the last two years of this pandemic. Right. This is a communicable disease that all that it would take is for you to care as much about yourself. Right. As, and care about your neighbor and their family in the same way that you care about yours. It would be about putting on a mask not only to protect yourself, but to protect those around you. But what we have seen and what I know that Donald Trump and Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani knew and what Tucker Carson knows and what he pokes and prods at each and every day is that we lack empathy, right? We don't care. And so long as I got mine, I don't care if you get yeah. yours and I, that, and it that, won't, yeah. and it won't deter me until everything that I have is gone. And then by then there'll be no one left to fight for me. That individualist narrative is part and parcel of the American experiment, right? That rugged cowboy that came here with nothing, <laughs> manifest destiny, built himself up from his bootstraps. Uh, you, know, you just casually forget the exploitation and the subjugation of Native Americans and the theft and the rape and slavery, right? But that individualistic narrative of the rugged American man where anyone can come here and build themselves up also has led to cruelty, Lack of empathy, mm, mm, mm. savagery, right? And I'm, gl I'm glad you mentioned because I always tell people like in America, it's like this. You can die, but please don't die on my lawn. 
<laughs> die on your lawn. Die on your lawn. Yeah, die on your lawn. Yep. Uh, I'll die on my lawn. You die on your lawn. Don't cross my lawn. And, you know, onto you, your way, onto me, my way. Unless, of course, you make me uncomfortable, then I'm going to post uh, pass bills to make sure that I get your lawn also. Uh, and, and what we're witnessing is is the cruelty, right? And I'm glad you mentioned there's a viciousness and cruelty that has always existed in America that we never want to acknowledge. We love the narrative of America as a shining beacon, Statue of Liberty holding out her torch, welcoming, welcoming the refugees to our shores without mentioning that once these refugees came here, they were stomped. The, ste- the streets of America aren't paved with gold. They're paved with blood, right? And now what we're witnessing Ooh. now is Ooh. when people realize that we too want the American dream. We too want what was promised to us. We too want to invest in what you sell to the rest of the world. America says, you know what? We'll rather burn this country down mm-hmm. than share power with you darkies. We will rather burn this democracy that down than make sure that you have a chance to be a co-protagonist of this narrative, right? We are so addicted to our white supremacy and cruelty that we would rather our child get COVID than Toni Morrison's beloved. We would rather have fascism than voting rights. And that's where, and we got to keep it blunt. That's what we're dealing with. This is all coming to a head, Daniel, but it's coming to a head during a time with climate change and income inequality and Mm. a recession and a mother effing pandemic. And that's the problem is that Biden it's trying to claw with his fingernails with this minor 50-50 split and this brief lead in the House where he's saddled with this white supremacist baggage. It's a beautiful metaphor for America's history. It came to bite us back in the ass, Mansion and Cinema and White Moderates, right? Literally did not come to bite us back in the ass. My God. And our question is, we got we to gotta support it because the alternative is literally fascism. And when fascism comes, it comes for everyone. 
right, to this country. And, you know, I, I just want to go back to what you said, because God damn, Waj, the imagery of the fact that the streets of America are not paved with gold, but, you know, with paved people's with blood. blood. It is it is so true and so disturbing. And I and I go back to Virginia, your state, which was the center point for critical race theory and that Mm. fight. And we saw how that played out. But that is the point, right? It is to keep the white masses cloaked in ignorance of their own history, right? It is to deny the truth, to deny the patterns of violence, to deny the cruelty. You know, I can't tell you how many times as an only black kid in a white suburban class, when a teacher, a white teacher would be talking and teaching about uh, teaching about slavery and said, mm. well, it was a necessary evil. Wow. Right. Like, wow. I, I cannot what tell state, what you. What state were you in? New York. New wow. York. Long Island. Right. Like, oh, it Long was Island. A nece- OK, wait, wait, wait. That's, was, a carve out. Right, That's a carve out. Right. It's a carve out like upstate. <laughs> um, it, But it's like. You know, it's a necessary evil. Oh, everybody owned slaves then. How many times have you heard that? Again, justifying the cruelty just because everybody around you was doing it, right? Was torturing, beating, raping human beings and selling them, right? Right. So every time that I would hear people, especially during the height of our undocumented crisis in America, say, as we're locking kids up in cages, this isn't who we are. I'm like, you literally sold human beings on Mm. auction blocks and you don't want to teach about it. You don't want to tell the truth about it because it makes you feel bad. Right. Right. And not only does it make you feel bad, it forces you to confront your role in either perpetuating this misery and oppression or confronting it and fighting against it, right? And so how do you absolve yourself completely from both guilt or any culpability and responsibility is you erase it. And if you aren't telling your story, like I always say this, if you aren't telling your story, your story is always being told to you by others, which is why a beautiful symbolism here of all of this is the 1619 Project. Who would have thought that a New York Times review magazine 1619 Project would so completely unhinge and break white conservative America, right? Where they're so wedded to this myth. They're so wedded yep. to this, this, this fictitious narrative of the white male patriarch with the benevolence who came here and built this country with nothing in America as a beacon of hope where you just pull yourselves up from your bootstrap. And Nicole Hannah-Jones and historians are like, well, slavery. And 1619, to the point where, like, we will rewrite 1619 and show you the true history of America, 1776. Yes. You know, and and it's, it's, it's the fragility, but it really is about the creation of a moral Disneyland, mm. right? Everything about America has fed back and mirrored back to white America their greatness their kindness. Oh, there were benevolent slave owners. Without them, those people would have never had three square meals a day. That's right. Or without those slave masters, they would have remained in their countries on the continent of Africa, right? Like we, we, can, we can also tell that story, but what has been presented back to them is that they can do no wrong. That everything about them is right, that they come from this sea of innovators and bootstrappers and entrepreneurs and and, you know, the founding fathers. 
right? That this is their legacy. So anything that challenges that narrative, even if it is the truth, then has you look at your life and say, wait a minute, how have I benefited from this? How have I been complicit? So the idea of even opening up conversation around it threatens every single lie that has been baked into this nation, along with the blood of those that have been beaten and marred and terrorized since the beginning. And also it threatens their privilege and power, right? Because once they realize, oh, wait, these darkies are onto something. Oh, wait, this is caked into the system. Oh, wait, it's a completely rigged. Oh, wait, there is inequality. Oh, wait, there is injustice. Huh. What should I do now? Should I be on the side of progress and justice and live up to my alleged values and morals in this American dream? And that would mean forfeiting maybe some privilege or at the very least sharing power. Or Mm. do I want to keep this power and privilege? Because it seems kind of nice. And that's what you're seeing happen. You saw it happen in Virginia, ladies and gentlemen. You saw it happen. People got really angry at me when I wrote that article about a majority of white women who voted for Yunkin. But that's exactly what happened when it came to when it came to push versus shove right when it came to you know to you literally living up to your alleged values and just giving up something just giving up a little bit of comfort just uh just to uh, accommodate the rest of us uh they're like nope nope you're gonna replace me uh, as so, the top dog yep and so another analogy i gave to someone yesterday and i think this is what we're witnessing is this commitment to the filibuster that this absurd commitment to the filibuster, right? Where like, we need the filibuster for bipartisanship and we need it because it is a tool that shows that, you know, we can get along. And I'm like, who's the one arguing the most for the filibuster? Mansion and cinema. Who's the one voting, like going against it? But people of color, because Obama was right when he called it a relic of Jim Crow used historically to advance what? White power at the expense of civil rights movement. So who benefits from the filibuster, Danielle? Not me, not you, not democracy, but white minority rule. And when push comes to shove, these two Democrats who have the power right now to tilt history on the side of justice and equality and progress, what have they cast their lot in? They've cast their lot for the white minority rule of and, their and, and filibuster. Own. The That's preservation it. of their own power. You're seeing you it know, happen at a micro level, at a micro level. You're seeing it happen in history. You're seeing it happen at the schools. You're seeing it happening in libraries. You're seeing this happen all across America. And at the very least, I can say the one positive is all the things that you and I others have been talking about. At least we're not crazy. At least we weren't crazy. I mean, at least we weren't crazy. So when we're sharing a jail, a jail cell, we can we can <laughs> echo that back and forth to each other. Before we go, though, because it seems as if we have just given America a report card and mm. uh, and it wasn't great. Um, let's let's grade this administration one year. All of these things that we have laid out, all of the things that they have been faced with. What are you giving as a composite score for this administration and why? C or C plus, depends on my mood, based on what they inherited, based on the structural inequalities that are present that give them only a 50-50 tie in their cell with mansion and cinema, based on uh, an obstructionist uh, Republican party, based on institutional whiteness that loves a both sides false equivalence, uh, and based on the fact that they at least got BBB done, no, excuse me, infrastructure done, COVID relief bill, uh, judges, 
and now late as hell, but at least fighting for voting rights, I would say C ish C plus. Okay. Um, I am offering, you are clearly nicer than I am. I am a strict grader and a former teacher. So, oh, oh no. uh, depending on my mood and the one that I'm in right now, ain't great. Um, if we're grading on a curve, I would give them a C minus. Okay. And if we're grading for real, a D plus. Okay, and, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. We're pretty close. I mean, we're passing, but I know that in my household, if I brought home a D plus, that's not what my parents saw. <laughs> they didn't see a passing grade. Okay, I'd be, they I'd be saw D an abject dead. failure. I'd be D yeah. for dead. <laughs> D for don't come home. <laughs> about that? How about don't come home? Um, and I and I say that um, basically for all of the things that you just listed out. Sure, um, they were able to get COVID relief. They were able to get the building infrastructure done, um, but that's about it. I believe that this administration, as in an entirety, ran out of steam six months in mm. uh, after the vaccine rollout. And not to mention, they're in complete and total bungling of the pullout in Afghanistan, which we're not yeah. talking about either. Which we should. Right? Which we should. And so when you take all of these things into consideration, even with the shit show that they inherited, I think that they have managed managed to make matters worse and 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 for me that is that is incredibly troubling and and one thing i will say and i think we've mentioned this in in podcasts in the past we should probably devote a a podcast to this is 81 million people voted for biden and harris why are you afraid of coming out and meeting the public you know and if it's biden's health if you're afraid of his gaffes it's fine people voted for him with his gaffes his long whiteness his speeches i don't care Come out. I mean, I said this and people used to make fun of me uh, and they said, oh, you're an idiot. Ha ha. This will be a gift for the Republicans. I said Biden during this time of crisis and pandemic should do like one of those FDR fireside, fireside chats. chats, you know, come out Every and just week. talk to people Every, just week and, and use Kamala Harris. Use her. Protect her. Uh, just like the Republicans protect Marjorie Taylor Greene. Circle around her. Right. Because she is your vice president and people voted for Biden Harris. So I think. It's also a failure of them on messaging and the fact they're listening to too many cowards in the Democratic establishment. They're finally waking up, Danielle, but have they woken up too late? Too late. Folks, you know, tweet us out uh, what you've all been doing. So we appreciate it so much listening to reading your feedback. Um, But let us know what grade are you Right. The democracy ish Mm. audience giving to the Biden administration. And when you do tweet us or share on Facebook or Instagram, make sure to use the hashtag hashtag democracy ish and let us know what grade you are giving to this administration. That is it for this episode of democracy ish. I am Danielle Moody. I'm with Jihad Ali, apparently the lenient grader of the two. The lenient grader, the nice teacher of the, the nice two. Te- of us. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the good <laughs> cop, nice teacher that you want to go to if you came late. <laughs> never class- go to Danielle, just hide. <laughs> never, yeah, never come to me. Class will be back in session next week if, in fact, there is a country. Oh.